Welcome to the 79th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about certification exams. Their usefulness, the preparation process, long-term validation and validity of these things. Kind of all of that. The uselessness, the boring, repetitive studying, the... Yeah. In general, the certification process has been around, well, it's been around for a long time in the IT industry. It's, it's a, we brought it in from other places, obviously, but I remember really early on people talking about like Nobel certifications and Microsoft certified engineer, the MCSE stuff. And the, and the Cisco certs. Yeah. And, you know, there have been various ones that have kind of higher prestige than others. The the Red Hat ones that are actually on site, you know, the on-premise ones, the RHCSA, the Certified System Administrator, those are those are serious, practical, hands-on exams. But a lot of people, especially young folks in the career, are looking at ways to differentiate themselves from other places, or a company is trying to hit some kind of benchmark for either a partner program, or they're trying to get themselves into a compliance stance of having a certain number of people having certifications for various things. And so certifications are, unfortunately, a very real part of life in this industry. So I don't have any of these certifications. And I only have a couple. I had, I got a couple a bunch of years ago. Um, back when Apple did certifications, I got the Apple Certified Technical Coordinator and the Apple Certified System Administrator. But they don't... Apple all... did certifications? Yeah. And actually, I, I had friends who were teaching the certification classes. Um, but my... Well, that's one way. But... I never really took the certifications all that seriously. I was doing it more because, hey, it was available and why not? I, I should do this. I've never taken them super seriously. I had the opportunity to to work on the RHCE, which used to be much more well-respected than it is today, although the Red Hat certs are still, are still pretty highly respected. But I was in a situation where if I pass the test, company pays for it. If I fail the test company might pay for it or I get to pay for it. And then if I want to take it again, I had to pay for it. And I surely didn't feel very supported by my company. And those tests are meant to be hard for a reason. Yeah. And a lot of the certification exams are multiple choice and they suffer from a lot of the issues that all standardized tests suffer from. Some people are really good at standardized tests and some people are not. And so some people have a natural bias that makes them better at taking standardized tests. How many of the answers are B? I don't know. But I mean... At one point I heard B was the most common answer. But multiple choice test taking is a teachable skill. And if you have put the time into learning that side of it, you'll do better on these tests versus somebody who hasn't, who's equally as qualified as you in in the technical area. So don't let that that get you down. And then there are tests that are like the, the Red Hat tests where they place you in a room and say this computer is broken fix it i was looking looking at the Elasticsearch exams recently and there's two classes you can take but the exam itself is a remote shell session to an Elasticsearch instance on an amazon instance somewhere and the proctor is watching what you're doing and watching to make sure there isn't somebody else in the room with you so you have your camera turned on because they do it remotely and it's it's a real hands-on you are going to do this thing and not you know, pick off the list. I've always been afraid that I won't be able to figure out what the problem is. <laughs> Fixing it easy, figuring out what the problem is. Yeah. And 
one of the biggest problems with certifications in general is if you have people who either can cram for the test and just take it, or the test is too easy or whatever, you get to the problem that Microsoft had really badly in the late 90s, early 2000s of what were referred to as paper MCSEs, where you had people who had never really used a computer before, much less Microsoft Windows, but they were going and studying for and passing the exams for the MCSE because they heard that, hey, you can get a boost up in a career, you can, you can get a job with this. And so there were lots of people who were taking and passing the MCSE exam because it was too easy to study for. And then once people were taking it, apparently it was too easy. And so it, it devalued the, the meaning of that certificate across the industry. It's still one of the ones that people don't take seriously now. Um, on the other hand, you had probably because of that. Yeah, on the other hand, like, it's there, hard to build a reputation. There are still certificates that people speak of in awe. The CCIE exams are difficult. They are hands-on labs. They are in depth, and they de- they demonstrate a full knowledge of the entire stack. I worked with a gentleman many years ago who had three CCIEs, and he there he shortly thereafter went to work for Cisco themselves, and now he builds networks in Malaysia, and he's really awesome. But it's one of those those kind of those quality gates that when you have a really hard exam, the the company giving the exam will often poach the people off the top who really do well because they've demonstrated that they're really good. So if you're faced with needing to take these exams, if you're faced with needing to get certifications either for work or for compliance reasons or personal interest, there's a bunch of different things you can do. And the easiest one is to go take one of the like the week-long workshop classes that whoever is offering. Um, Amazon has them. Cisco has them. Everybody has them for their their various products. And they're, they're usually pretty pricey, a couple thousand dollars a week. And you're hands-on with an instructor who ostensibly is an expert-level teacher of, of the topic. And they're going to prepare you for all of the stuff that will be on the exam that you may not use on a regular basis. So, for example, the Amazon certificates... You may use Amazon day in, day out, but you never really do much with Direct Connect because Direct Connect isn't something that comes up very often. So you only have a kind of a a basic knowledge. And so they're going to walk you through, okay, well, these are the processes. These are how it works. This is what you need on your side and the other side. And let's talk a little bit about the physicality of it and the other licensing pieces of it. So when you see a question on the exam, you can go, okay, this is is how and why I'd use Direct Connect, even though I've never actually done it. And then... When in real life you, you run into a situation where you have to use it, you know at least where to start. You know, oh, I need to go get the documentation from my ISP and this documentation from Amazon. I need to get my stuff set up here and there and the other. So I had the same issue when I was looking at the the Red Hat exams years ago because I was fairly confident I could pass large swaths, but there were there were parts that I wasn't super familiar with. And I learned that a good part of some of the RHCT tests and CE tests was knowing bind and knowing DNS. And yeah, I have a pretty good understanding of DNS, but I've never really run a bind server, DNS server at scale on the internet. Most of the shops I've been involved with that had that responsibility was either outsourced or used an on-site product to manage their DNS. So I didn't have that hands-on experience that I would have liked to have for that situation. Yeah. And the classes really can help tell you at least the places where you need to spend more time 
digging into stuff. So they're useful. Next after that is the official, like either study guides or study books, like the course materials that you can go buy a certified exam book from whoever that walks you through all the important things about all the things that will be on the exam. They're not going to tell you what the questions are, but they're going to tell you like for DynamoDB, this is how your read capacity and write capacity units are used. And they're going to tell you about all of the other intricacies of how you use IAM with stuff. And that will give you a pretty good knowledge of, okay, I need to go play with these things. I need to go work with these things. I need to understand this and that and the other a little bit more. And that will get you another big chunk of the way through the exam. At a minimum, though, you should go look at the the exam objectives, the exam, the, the, the guidelines of what's the minimum knowledge. And if there's anything on that list that you don't feel 100% confident about, go study. Go spend some time. Go look at it. Try to figure out, like what it is that you can shore up your knowledge on. So after looking kind of over the exam objectives, there's other places you can turn and there's third party books and third party classes that some, some folks will offer about various topics or things. And those can be useful, but they're never going to be quite as up to date as the first party stuff, the official stuff that is put out by the vendor of the product that you're getting certified in. Is the book ever up to date? Well, the, the tests only usually get changed every six months or every year because Updating and writing tests is really hard. So the books are usually reasonably up to date. But the next thing, if, if you really want to have something other than a dry book to read and you don't want to spend $3,000 on a week of classes, there are places like Udemy and WizLabs and other, other online vendors that have lectures from people who know the products really well and they know roughly what's on the exams. And so they're going to, they'll, they'll give you auditory and visual guides on how to study and how to pass the things and to kind of explain the concepts of kinesis streams or whatever it is you're trying to figure out. And honestly, the Udemy stuff goes on sale really frequently. The, yeah. Their stuff's always on sale. The list price is like $200 for the class, but I've paid like nine and $12 for mine. So, okay. And it's genuinely very helpful in terms of especially establishing for you what you don't know and kind of how to, how to reason about and pick apart the, the places where your knowledge is lacking. So they can be extraordinarily helpful. And they also frequently have practice exams. So you can run through just the, the mechanics of, okay, I'm taking an exam and they're writing questions that are similar to the ones that will be on the exam. They're never going to be exactly the same, but they're similar. And this way you get to see kind of what the mental tricks are for how do I parse the question? How do I find the important parts of the question and read them quickly and understand why, like anytime somebody says the cheapest, you know that you can't use. Um, you can't use Glacier. Well, you should know. <laughs> Glacier is only ever used in very, very specific situations, honestly. But when they say the cheapest, you're not going to go for provision diops, for example. Because, well, yes, it may be a better, a better correct choice, but it's going to be a lot more expensive. So there's... There's lots of keywords in questions that you should learn and understand, and the practice exams really help you kind of understand and pick those apart. That's handy. Yeah. And again, it's practice. So it's a, it's a teachable skill. The whole thing about um, standardized tests, especially multiple choice tests, the correct answer is on the page in front of you. You just have to whittle out the ones that aren't correct and then hit enough of them right to pass the exam. There's some tricks to that. Of course there are. Most solutions are be <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, I, I so I've never really spent too much effort 
working with exams and these certifications. And I'm fortunate at this point in my career to be with a, to work with a company that's very supportive in these exams. Uh, my company is an, an AWS consulting partner, which means there's this level of how many exams we have to maintain based on the number of employees we have and whatnot. And yeah, so that means we have a lot of folks that have that have AWS exams and certifications. And that's super cool. But then again, I've been working on a client with GCP. <laughs> so an AWS exam in that situation basically put me in a spot where I'm going to have less billable hours to my client and I don't have anything that that exam will directly benefit. And so I couldn't sort of mentally justify it in my head of of why spend time climbing the AWS tree when the client I am full-time with is climbing a different tree. And again, this is where it comes back to the compliance thing or the partner thing where you're trying to hit the the exam objectives not because you're going to use it on a day-to-day basis or because you have a particular desire to use it, but because your your organization needs X number of people that have gotten the exam or they need, okay, we need to pick up this many points on the whatever before we hit the end of the year. So they start saying, okay, folks, we need to start studying for these exams. And especially when you don't use a product day-to-day, studying for these exams is really atrocious. One of the things this reminds me of is the concept of a T-shaped employee, a T-shaped person, which is something that that jives with me really well. I have a, a pretty broad bit of experience in many different tools and things that a company might be, be doing inside their operational stack. But I really super enjoy developing a, a depth of experience in a, in a narrow area where I can offer some really high-level guidance and, and contributions in a specific area. I feel like I can be incredibly useful to a company, a client, being able to develop a long tail of skill in a specific area and and contribute highly. And as I sort of take that mental model and sort of compare it to to the certifications, part of me finds myself on the other side of that of I get hired by a new client, I change companies, they have the technology stack that they're that they've chosen to run in. I will be glad to learn that and become an expert in that specific situation. So if I come in with the baggage of certs that don't quite match, and then again, there's there's also the other side of that where companies do directly want to hire folks with AWS certifications because their entire stack is AWS products, and they want to have that bit of training done with when you walk in the door. Well, the other side of this is that some a lot of employers will look at you know, you have a networking certi- certi- certification from one vendor. A lot of the skills you pick up from that translate directly to networking products from another vendor. So if you've passed the hurdle of doing a CCIE in, in whatever routing security or whatever it is, and you're going to work for a client that does Juniper, well, a lot of the skills do translate. Not all of it, obviously. But if you have AWS certifications, you understand the cloud fundamentals pretty well. You can probably do GCP in Azure. And vice versa. So yeah, if you have a good understanding of of the IAM functionality in AWS, you can definitely carry that across a GCP as your 
and have a really good understanding on the feet of what you're doing. You get to figure out some of the differences, but yeah, the big three clouds aren't all that different. And further, most of the certifications go with the person, not with the company. So you are certified, not your company has a certification for you. So if you get a certification and then you go work somewhere else, you are still certified in whatever that thing was for the the duration of the certification. So there are companies that, of course, will say, we're going to pay for your certification classes and for the certification exams, and we're going to spend thousands of dollars on doing this. If you leave in the next 12 months, you got to pay that back because it's expensive and we don't want to be funding somebody, some other company's, you know, knowledge base or some other company's talent pool. And be careful before you go into certification programs at work. Make sure that you've read the fine print, that you understand how the compensation works. And if there is any kind of payback, if you are, if you either leave or if you are let go. Also be careful. Um, when you run into people who have CCIE certifications or you run into people who have AWS certifications or you run into people who have other various things, they are going to espouse the solutions that they're aware of. And so they're going to sell you or try to sell you on a Cisco carrier grade NAT, or they're going to try to sell you on the latest and greatest Amazon crazy service because they know it and they know how it works and they're, they're coming from that mindset. So you always have to... Honestly, that's an issue I have with with some of the cloud certification crazy that's that's happening now. And looking at some of the practice tests and testing materials and realizing that some of these tests, you know, identify this service that, you know, starts with Cube and ends with Netties and you get four options and it's all the same words in different orders and it's your job to pick out what the correct product name for the hosted Kubernetes service is. This week. And yeah, this week. And part of the testing is about just being aware of of, of the product base so you could sell it. And some of these tests are really how can AWS claim some of your mental space, your mental mind map so that they can literally sort of turn you into a salesman. I have this space dedicated AWS in my mind. That's a problem. I've got an AWS as a solution. I know what the Kubernetes service is called in AWS. Elastic something? Kubernetes? I believe it's the Elastic Containers. No, it's not the Elastic Container Service. That's a different thing entirely. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, there's so many services at Amazon. It's, it's you fail, Brendan. You fail. So that's something I found weird about some of these tests is these tests are written in such a way to to give you a platform to stand on professionally, but it's also benefiting the the, the corporation issuing these tests. And, you know, put those two things on a scale and find out how that scale balances out. Well, similarly, if you go to reInvent, Amazon's big yearly conference, or you go to Apple's developer conference, or you go to Google Next, or you go to any of these places, all of the solutions that you're going to hear from all of these companies are going to tell you about how it's great and why you should be using only Apple or Google or Amazon solutions for your various problems and needs because they have all of your concerns taken care of. And a lot of the exams are written in such a way that the only options that are correct are the ones that involve only Amazon services. 
but there are times in the real world where you're like, yeah, I'm not going to use that. That doesn't, it doesn't work or it's, it's not full featured. Too expensive. I had some friends who were doing, as a side note, I had some friends who were doing Elasticsearch with the Amazon hosted stuff for a while and they stopped because the Amazon hosted Elasticsearch for their needs was terrible. And it was causing them problems frequently where you do an upgrade and half the nodes wouldn't actually upgrade and be stuck in this kind of in-between state. And there was all kinds of problems. And they just went back to running Elasticsearch on instances because it was easier and it worked better. But the exam is going to assume that, no, 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 you're going to use the Elasticsearch service. And by virtue of that, if you've taken the exams and you've done all these things, they Amazon also assumes that you're going to tell clients and coworkers and your company that, oh, we should just use the hosted version of whatever tool because that's what you've been taught by the exam. And their hosted tools are definitely a large part of their revenue stream rather than just renting EBC2 nodes. And some of those tools are amazing. And we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast in the past, especially if you're a small organization, having yep. being able to spend a couple thousand dollars a year on Kinesis data streams for a low volume thing is so much better than paying for an engineer's time to set up Kafka and manage it and run it and watch it and do all the other things. Because at a small scale, it's so much cheaper and so much more flexible and we need more, you just get more. The trouble is when you do scale, you've never built up the knowledge base internally to run the, to run the service. And now, well, that's the option you have. And now you have to go and hire somebody who knows the intricacies of all these products instead of using the the Amazon bespoke services, you have to get, hire somebody who actually can say, well, I'm going to set up Kafka for you. And here's all of the, the, the technical issues with doing that. There's a point when that comes cheaper. That's not when you're in startup mode. And as another kind of small side note, if you're taking these exams, if you're taking these classes, a lot of them have restrictive language about what you can talk about after the exam or the class is over. They don't want you going in and for example, recording the class and then sharing transcripts of it online because they're one of the revenue streams is bringing in people. This is a revenue stream for multiple people, not just Amazon or GCP or whoever you're taking the certification exam from. Yeah. And they, they want to make sure that they can get instructors who can come in and can teach the classes and getting good instructors is not cheap. So there's a whole business model there, but also they really don't want questions to leak online. And so there's, I mean, you can go buy practice, practice exams for all of these, 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 these real tests. And anytime that the questions on the practice exams get too close to the questions on the real exam, you bet they're going to change the questions on the real exam. So don't, if you take the exams, don't share any of the content. You can talk about kind of like, oh, we, we focus more on this, this versus that, but don't share. I imagine that you'll be presented with some legalese to sign before you may take that exam. And most of the exams that I've taken so far are done in proctored environments. So you go to a Pearson or a VIEW or a whoever, and they make sure that you don't have a cell phone with you or anything in your pockets or any recording devices. And there's cameras above every testing workstation to make sure that you're not doing anything illicit or nefarious. And you have to surrender all your scratch paper at the end to make sure you're not you know, like writing down questions and taking them out with you and... There's a whole process there, along with big warnings as you go in saying that if you record or whatever, A, you fail the exam, and B, they'll call the police because I think they're trying to scare people. But it works. So I have a, a theological question to ask. Sure. Have you discovered in your vast 
experience taking tests and working with cloud environments that it seems like every cloud environment is just kind of playing in someone else's group mental mind map that's just completely arbitrary and virtual. Explain more. Thinking about certifications makes me think about the progression of computers over the years. And I definitely grew up before there was virtualization and was a professional when virtualization became a tool that we could sort of play with and see how it worked. Mm -hmm. But I was always brought up in an environment where you had a computer hardware, RAM, CPU, input, output. You had Unix on top of that, and you had some applications. And the tools that you had were relatively well understood by the the IT community. And today, as we look with the proliferation of cloud solutions and cloud platforms and the plethora of training you can get all these various different products, it's really hard to figure out or, or to have a sort of a shared understanding of how computing works anymore. I, I, can, I can see that. It used to be that we had either measurable and, and well understood quantities of x86 or Spark or whatever hardware that we all could kind of agree on. Well, those pizza boxes were kind of crap, but they all had these these RAID controllers. And we, we, we all know how disks work. We all know kind of how cache coherency works or what a bad DIM looks like or the, the physical side of operations work where you had a really good and clear understanding of this is how these units of computing work together. And if I go to another job, they have the same units and it's the same kind of workload and it's the same kind of thing that, you know, for a database, you need a lot of IOPS and for these other pieces, you need different requirements. But at some point, you're right, the moving into the cloud means, well, you're now learning about, you know, Amazon's IoT service, but you don't know how it actually works. Like you don't have the ability to pick apart and see what the, the fundamental underlying bits are. And so when you move to Google's, you know, IoT service, you have to learn again because it's different. It's it's structured differently in the interfaces. Or the, or Google may not have a, an equivalent service and you have to compose several different components together to build something similar. Yeah, or or even if the API calls are very similar, the the fundamental inner working well then the inner <laughs> workings are different and then the pricing is different and then how you use it is different and what are the edge cases? The behavior you get is different. So yeah, there there definitely is um a the mental model is is being broken that we don't have this common shared like everybody knows roughly what an e450 did in terms of you know that that's a unit of sun computing from back in the day from the dinosaur years when i was younger in this career but anywhere you went that had an e450 even though you could you could load it up differently with processors and memory and whatnot you had a a shared base understanding of exactly what that thing was and how it worked and why it failed and all of those those pieces and then we introduced virtualization, and that was great because it let us, you know, been... And all that transitions fairly well to running VMs, like EC2 or GCE VMs in the cloud. But today we have this plethora of services that you can just purchase off the shelf and combine together. And the the mental space of of knowing how a product works is ballooning quite rapidly. Yeah, it, it's very difficult to get it all in your head. And, and these certifications being a, a a telltale sign of that, of how do I get somebody that's trained up in this specific set of cloud APIs and this specific building block, virtual building block set? All very true. 
but yeah, interesting musing of of how I continue my career doing IT and realizing, well, I realized long ago that there's a whole lot more to know than how a computer works, how you get input in and input out. But the vast bit of knowledge that that one needs to maintain to continue to live and thrive in this in this environment is really exponentially expanding much kind of like a universe or maybe i'm just looking forward to to a day when we have more things like kubernetes where we have more standards of these apis and these composable blocks are no longer specific to vendors but actually interchangeable yeah i would love for the dream of java to actually be fulfilled at some point the idea that you could truly write code in one place and deploy it in lots of other places. I would love to I would love to really and truly be able to say I have a set of Docker containers that are my microservices and I'm going to deploy them and I know that Kubernetes or whatever my orchestration framework is actually consistent enough across all the various vendors and all the platforms and all the self-hosted that I know it's going to work. But even Kubernetes at this point depending on which version of the storage drivers, depending on which version of volume persistence, the persistent volume stuff may not work the same as it does. Yeah, still not there. But yeah, you hit the 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 thought exactly on the head with the Java write once, run anywhere mentality. And beforehand it was, you can write code on one computer and be able to run that on any other computer, on any other operating system, on any other architecture. And that was a powerful thought and desire and dream 20 years ago. And today it's being able to create a Docker image and have that run in any sort of container scheduling environment in any cloud provider, which is the same dream, but wow, what the future has brought us. I guess my final thought for all of this is when I've been reviewing interviews that, that HR hands over for a candidate coming in, under very few conditions do I ever even think about the certifications they have. Most of the time, I'm looking for projects they've worked on, and in the interview, I'm asking about demonstrable knowledge and skills, because I don't really care what letters you have after your name. Can you do the work? Can you be reasonable about it? Are you not a jerk? All the, the kind of the basic things. Because as long as you're motivated and smart, we can teach you most of the things that we need to know. Yeah, as long as you have good problem-solving skills and can show that you have worked in that space really efficiently, then the letters after your name are a nice plus. But yeah, I don't look at those first. And you have to balance for yourself how useful or important a certification exam can be. In some places, you can get like direct salaries coupled to passing exams. And in that case, hey, it's probably worth it. But before you spend a whole lot of time and money and aggravation on that process, think about why you're doing it. And please take the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. And that wraps it up for the 79th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night. Big data specialty exam.